Uh, once a month, thank you, sorry about that. Once, once a month, uh, we, we kind of structure our evening service just a little differently. And so we, we don't have a sermon as such, but it is an opportunity to just listen to someone's story or a little of someone's story, because obviously we can't cover all of someone's story in just 10, 15 minutes. And the, the, the context for hearing someone's story is around this table, because this is a, a fellowship table, it's a family table. We've just enjoyed a very simple meal together. And it's often round tables that we kind of share with one another and tell stories. And so tonight, we're, as I say, we're gonna hear a little of Alice's story, Alice Taylor's story. So Alice, let, let me start by asking you, how long have you kind of been coming to Windsor? How long have you been part of this church family? Almost 30 years. Almost 30 years, okay. Now, we're gonna skip lots of your life, Alice, but you grew up in Portadown. Portie Down. Portie Down, okay, Portie Down, get that right. Can you share maybe a couple of formative experiences from your childhood, teenage years, maybe influential people as you were growing up? Yeah. Anybody here from Portadown? No. <laughs> somebody yes, at the back? Somebody. Anybody from Lurgan? Yeah. Right. Now, if you're from Lurgan, you're going to appreciate what I'm going to say about Portadown. As a child um, and a young person didn't particularly like Portadown. There's a great competition between Portadown and Lurgan, in case you don't realise. Um, and uh, having said that, uh, it ha I went to a wonderful church and I went to a wonderful school. And when you realise that that covers six out of seven days in a week, oh, um, so Portadown didn't do too badly by me. Can I talk about the church first of all? I was a staunch Presbyterian for a long time. Right, <clears throat> I was a staunch Presbyterian for uh, quite a long time. And uh, our minister was a Mr. William Craig, who actually was a moderator at some point. He was just the most amazing man when I look back. And we're talking now 50s into 60s. And David, I can remember the outline of some of his sermons. Nobody can remember the outline of mine last week, so just, <laughs> just keep going. And um, he had a very powerful influence in my life. The other person who had an amazing influence in my life was my headmaster, a Mr. Donald Woodman. Now, I'll try and describe Mr. Woodman. I went to Portadown College, by the way, um, and a uh, great school. And Mr. Woodman was a very centric man. He was a classicist. Now, I am not saying that every classicist is eccentric. <laughs> Is Joanne here? No. no. Um, but um, he was eccentric. He never drove a car. He always had a bicycle with a big wooden suitcase in between the handlebars, and he cycled. Totally unathletic. Um, but he was just, I mean, when I think, just thinking from a headmaster's point of view, in the 50s and into the 60s, he had, um, he took risks and he set new rules in school, um, if he felt they were a bit stupid. Um, he allowed us to take risks as pupils. Um, he, he was just fantastic. Mary Peters was head girl when I started school. And it was through Mr. Woodman that she got so involved in athletics. Uh, that's another story, which I'll not go into. That's Mary's story. Um, but um, it wasn't just him as a headmaster. He knew every pupil and he knew our aspirations. And, but 
It was his, the way he lived his Christian life. That man, I never heard him ever say, you must be born again, or repent, or have a hellfire sermon. He was a lay preacher in an Anglican in a Church of Ireland church. And he used liturgy a lot in school. That's where I got my love of liturgy. You probably noticed when I lead services, I use liturgy a lot, and Seamus Heaney. Um, but uh, <laughs> not necessarily any connection. Um, but uh, it was not just the beautiful words. That man breathed liturgy, and he lived it. And I'll never forget one particular incident where a group of teenagers, and I was a young Christian by then, five or six of us were talking to him. It was coming up to Easter, and he said um, he was going to go to a three-hour um, service on Good Friday. And we said, sir, three hours in church? This is me as a young Christian. And he didn't say this piously. He said it quietly. He said, if my Lord could suffer agony and hang on the cross in darkness for three hours. We've just thought about it. He said, I can spend three hours in church. And you know something to this day, literally to this day, I think of that so often. If my Lord could do this, then I fill in the blank. Mr. Whitman died very suddenly about 30 or 40 years ago, and to my horror I realized I hadn't thanked him or told him what he meant to me. And I very promptly wrote a letter to Mr. Craig, hoping it would get to him in time, uh, to tell him how much he meant to me. Uh, I think it got to him in time. He's still alive. He's 97. Brilliant, Alice. So, minister in church and a headmaster having such an, an influence on, on your young life. Let's skip ahead quite a bit. Yes. You then went to study medicine yes. uh, at Queen's. Yes. And at the end of your time of studying medicine, you kind of hoped your life would go in a particular direction. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, um, probably from about second year on, I went with a group of four others to Central Africa as an elective. Now, all medical students go to a foreign elective. Can I tell you something? We were the first group that did that. We were the pioneers ever to do that. We didn't go in pith helmets, um, but it was 1964 we're talking about, so this was really some time ago. Um, and I went with a CMS mission. Why am I in a Baptist church? I, I have had no idea. That no. was why you're in a Baptist church. Um, a CMS mission, Randa mission, and I was in Randa, Burundi. And uh, that was life-changing. Well, I say it was life-changing. It also nearly ended my life. I literally... Um, uh, only for a very sharp doctor, uh, didn't get home. I got some, a very serious tropical disease, nearly died. Uh, anyway, I obviously survived. But it was life-changing. And uh, I went to a conference in final year. We did six years. Coming up towards our exams, I went to a conference in London uh, with CMS, praying that I would be called to Rwanda. I had a real heart for it. Um, and I realized at the conference that that was not going to happen. And I never forget sitting in that aeroplane with my head against, I can still feel the chill of the window in my forehead, gazing out, crying my eyes out. God was saying in a still small voice, I do not want you to go to Rwanda. And I broke my heart. But 
11 years later, I discovered why. In fact, no, 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 no. About four or five weeks later, I discovered why. Because the boy next door, and he, he and I became an item. Trevor and I were next to each other in the alphabet. The alphabet went Alice Swan, Trevor Taylor. There were a lot of other people before and since. And we were together quite a bit for six years. It is another long story about what happened in that final week of final exams, but uh, we did become an item, and still are, I think. And, um, <laughs> um, and it became... That's why God wasn't calling me to run. Um, and then 11 years later... This is definitely coming up. Uh, don't worry about that. 11 years later... It became very clear, particularly clear, why um, I was asked to set up a service for child abuse and neglect. This was 1979. Um, it was at the time when we were beginning to realise the problem of child abuse and neglect. There were very few services. There wasn't multidisciplinary working together, etc. So I took that on. Then and now, that doesn't happen in medicine. People don't come up to doctors and say, make yourself a job. Sure they don't, Paul. No, no. Um, but the, they certainly came up to me and said, make yourself a job. And I specialised in that area for 25 years. I, um, in the broadest sense, uh, but within that, I specialised in sexual abuse. Within that, I, I um, specialised in the forensic interviewing of children. A lot of that involved court work, including big test cases in the 80s, um, particularly. Uh, where really we were persuading the courts, children are good witnesses. Children can give us clear accounts if they're given the opportunity and be reliable uh, about being abused. Um, so it was a very exciting time. Uh, it was difficult at times, um, but it was a wonderful career, absolutely wonderful career. The last 10 years I went independent and... Uh, I, um, during that time, I became very much involved in Ireland uh, with clerical abuse cases and cases from institutional abuse. I did a law degree. I just, see the lawyers here? Where I've, yeah, hands up lawyers. I am so jealous of you. You've no idea how much I'm jealous of you. Um, I just love law. Uh, so I did a law degree, although I never became a lawyer. And... Um, that was, that was fantastic. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but I want to talk to you about a couple of crises within that. Okay. How are we? We're going good for time. Uh, I'm just letting you go, Alice, because it's, it's fascinating. And, and I know there's, there's going to be things that Alice is going to raise here and, and mention here that some people are going to go, oh, no, no, push, you know, provoke a little further, find out a little more. But, but I'm going to hand that over to you afterwards to, to, to do that with Alice or at, at some point. But Alice... Uh, t tell me a wee bit, I mean, and maybe this is where you go, t tell me a wee bit about your family. And Be before do you want to go, right, okay, go for can it. Can I talk about two crises? You can talk about two crises. Oh, within the, your career? Oh, yes, yeah, go for it. Yes, career. Um, because this actually very much involves people who are involved with, with, um, with Windsor. Um, David, what has come clear to me throughout my life is that I have met people... Um, men and women who I would see whose life is a constant intentional prayer. I love that phrase, and I had that phrase in my head before David, for those of you who were this morning in point four, when he was talking about David McMillan and that prayer that he was praying for him. Um, 
I had a crisis with management, not within my professional career, that came later. I had a crisis with management. I've, often, I've talked to quite a few of you from time to time about major difficulties in work. This was major, major problem. It really was quite serious. Um, and um, I didn't know what to do. I was praying about it. I was very stressed. I was very distressed. I was with Trevor one time. We were going to visit some friends. Driving in a car, why do windows come into my life so much? I was gazing out of a window at a full moon, and I just said, not even to Trevor, I just said, I'm going to go independent. I don't know where that came from, but I actually know where it came from. That was the still small voice of God, and I went independent. Um, a couple of days later, just before I was writing my resignation letter, David McMillan had just started being pastor here. So he didn't know me all that well. And he didn't know much about my career. He knew a bit. Um, but I told him, and his instant response was, Oh, Alice, you will have so much freedom. And he encouraged me to do it. Now, that can only come from a man who is in that phrase, um, that constant intentional prayer that you were talking about this morning. So he already has that, David. Good. You know? Well, that's an answer to the fourth point this morning. And very quickly, the other crisis was, um, for those of you who are doctors, let me see the doctors now. Yeah. Is your worst nightmare, um, would you agree, being reported to the General Medical Council? and being charged with 11 counts of serious professional misconduct. That happened to me. Um, and to say that was a crisis is the understatement of the year. You can ask Trevor about that afterwards. Um, when it happened, David McMillan has just gone on sabbatical. Where is your pastor when you need them? <laughs> um, I went to one associate, there are associate pastor at that time, one called Gordon Darrell. Instantly, Gordon caught on what was going on. When I got home that night from talking to him, there was an email from Gordon, I think Psalm 56 is for you. I read Psalm 56 and I did a Sarah, I laughed. And uh, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, perfect. And again, it came from that sort of life. I mean, how, where did that come from that Gordon was able to say that so quickly? I learned that psalm, I went forwards, backwards, I inhaled it, I um, lived it for several months until the thing was sorted out. And in case you're worried about me, I was totally exonerated. So uh, <laughs> I was being well looked after there. Thanks, Sorry. Alice. No, no, that's Thank brilliant, Re really helpful. Tell us about your family and kind of any challenges you've had there. You've talked about the kind of challenges you've had in your career, but tell us about family and any challenges you've had there. Yeah, well... We have three children, um, two boys. Um, all our children are in their 40s, mid-early 40s. Trevor and I still can't believe that. Um, the two boys work in London, commute into London. I don't know how they lead a life like that, but anyway. And then our daughter's here. She lives in Sea Hill near us. Um, and I mean, like any family, we have challenges. And being part of a family and having a family, of course, challenges come. Just two I want to talk about. One of them is Trevor. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, about 20 years ago, uh, Trevor had a series of, um, uh, over a period of time, 
quite serious viral illnesses, where maybe six or seven months he was really quite ill. Um, not life-threatening, not even life-changing, uh, certainly life-limiting at that time. Um, that was really difficult. Um, I had a very busy time for Trevor, career-wise and family-wise and church and, and Christian work-wise. That was really, that was difficult. There's still effects in that from time to time. So Trevor quietly disappears from quite time to time. That's probably why. Mm. Um, another one, our daughter is 41, Jenny. Some of you know her because she used to attend here. Jenny, our daughter, has an incredibly rare, incredibly rare genetic condition which affects her ability to, her motor ability, her ability essentially to walk. Um, it's a degenerative condition, so she's gradually deteriorating. Um, this was only diagnosed about 10 years ago. Very difficult for us as parents, obviously for Trevor as a parent, but also Trevor as an orthopedic surgeon treated um, children um, like Jenny, so it's been very difficult for him. Um, in fact, Jenny attends a clinic that Trevor started along with other professionals, what, 40 years ago? Jenny now attends that. That's actually very difficult. And, um, and difficult for me as a mother, because, you see, mothers are supposed to kiss things better. Mothers can change things. Mothers can understand things. Mothers can make it all right. And this mother hasn't been able to do that. So I've been finding that very, very difficult. At those moments of finding it so difficult, um, and in fact, we had a particularly difficult time about two months ago where Jenny did have a, a deterioration. Um, they, it's difficult to hold this mic and look <laughs> my notes here. There was something um, that a man called Roar wrote. In fact, it's like paradoxes, so I missed your first sermon, so um, this might similar lines, but in thinking about hap what's happening with Jenny, I find this very difficult where he talks about how difficult life is. Of course life's difficult and there's a lot of pain. Um, I just don't want my daughter to have it. <laughs> I'll be very frank with you. Um, and he talks about perfect order and disorder in life. He talks about loss and renewal. And I can see that even in that situation. Death and resurrection, I am not meaning actual death here, obviously. Um, chaos and healing. That's been very helpful to me, think of it in that way. And in my worst moments um, as a mother, all I have to do is look at Jenny and Brian, her husband, and her two beautiful children, uh, and see how she's dealing with it. And she's actually dealing with it a lot better than I am. Um, so God is gracious. Thank you, Alice, for, for sharing those two very personal things in, in many ways but another personal thing you're now retired you can call me a pensioner yeah i can call you a, a provocative pensioner actually as well <laughs> for those who are here this morning that will that will kind of make sense but you've now retired how is retirement retirement's great i mean tomorrow morning when you all are most of you are struggling in with getting to work and all that I'll be sitting in bed having a cup of tea that my husband's brought up to me. Bless and, you, Alice. Uh, I might go for a walk on the beach and I'll probably curl up in the afternoon and read a book. Um, it's actually a lot more than that. Of course, it's a lot more than that. But for, for retirement, you also have to put in getting older. And that's different. And there are a few getting older people here tonight. I think you'll agree. Um, and uh, it is different. Um, and it took Trevor and I, we were retired at the same time about 10 years ago, and it took us, 
quite a while to settle into that uh, and to settle into that new way of life. Um, if I was really, do you want me to be really honest? Um, be really honest, Alice. <laughs> really honest. I, um, sometimes I feel like putting on a t-shirt that says, been there, done that. Um, and just sit back and do all those things that I've just talked about. Um, but I really re realized very quickly I can't do that. I still have got to look for a way to serve God in retirement. It's quite different. I mean, I've, from the way I would have served beforehand, um, I'm just, do, just doing totally different things. Um, I'm still learning, I hope. I'm still growing. I hope I'm integrating um, all that I have learned. Again, I, I came across some lovely words that really helped about, um, I've gone from doing to being. There's different doing and being, you know. Um, and the other one is achieving and appreciating. I mean, I don't have to think about exams and interviews and striving and what my boss is up to and what the staff are doing and all of that. And, where am I in my career? I've, that's all done. I can forget about that. And it's something now about appreciating. I think it's why I can be so enthusiastic about my career and smile when I say how much I enjoyed it. I can appreciate it now. Um, and I've stopped the planning and the plotting that I used to do. Um, I don't have to do that anymore. Well, maybe with some things, but generally not. I, I, I can be completely trusting. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very different. Um, I, 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 we're we're yeah. getting short of time. So yeah, no, I no, you're okay. I'll, what would you say to people here uh, go back a who are, who maybe retirement is not that far away? Or what would you even say to younger people about the whole idea of preparing for retirement? Would you have any advice to give? Yeah, if it's not so far away, what Trevor and I have talked about this a lot, and we've said you prepare for retirement, not to retire. And there's a difference there. Um, for you much younger people that are sitting there, you start preparing for older age rather than retirement. Uh, now, hopefully most of you, I'm not going to give you a lecture about this, but hopefully most of you are making arrangements about your pension, wills even, um, but you know, there are other ways you can do it. Now, these things I'm going to talk about, you'll be doing anyway. You're going to say, but Alice, that's what we should be doing anywhere in our lives. But for somebody who's now at this stage of getting older and being retired, I can look back, not only grateful that I've made some sort of, well, Trevor's made some sort of arrangement about pensions, but also it's during this time, your time, um, build your careers as much as you can, make them um, as fulfilling as you can, be in the right place. So would you get to my stage, you could look back and say, you know, by and large, um, I did the right thing there. Um, foster relationships. It is so important at our stage in life to have a family um, relationships relatively intact. And I'm talking also about extended family and friends um, because the sort of crisis that's risen, I don't mind being personal again, with, with Jenny. Um, because we had such a good relationship with her and within the family, we didn't have to start building a relationship. We were there 
we're immediately able to deal with the crisis. Um, look after yourself physically. Now, we, we don't know what's going to befall us at any time. Of course we don't, no matter how well we look after ourselves. Um, but give yourselves a good start on that. Um, seek to grow in your faith and find a really appropriate service for God. It may well change when you get to my stage, um, but um, that will all benefit. Now, nobody told me all that when I was younger. I think I instinctively knew. Um, because really of my mother-in-law, that's another story which I'll not come into. Um, and, um, yeah. Okay, thank you, Alice. Kind of final thing. Looking back and over your kind of own story, how would you describe God's working in your life? I think the first thing is that from the very beginning, by that I mean my birth, God knew my true self. And that's with all my shortcomings, all the things I have done wrong, all the, the ways I have not um, met his standard. But he also knew the other aspects of me as well, right from the very beginning. Somehow... God is always with us. I don't know how. I really don't. Uh, but somehow, and I remember, David, when you were talking about, was it in your act series about Paul in Athens? And you were talking about him at the, in the hill. I've forgotten the name. Mars Hill. Mars thank hill, you. Yeah. I've been there. I think I should remember it. Mars <laughs> Hill. And this verse, I think it wasn't that you mentioned it. I had never noticed it before. And let me get the words right. Though he is not far from each one of us, and this was to these people in Athens who were worshipping all sorts of gods. And you were very much stressing in the, that day that no matter where we are, who we are, what's been happening, no matter where I've been in the past, God was never far from me. <laughs> I'm still not too sure about how that comes about, but it's there. Mm -hmm. I have God's unconditional love. The other thing, David, you keep um, saying. See, I do remember that. You, you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm encouraged here. I'm enjoying it. Keep, keep going. Would you like me to write your letter <laughs> no, of encouragement? Yeah, please. No, keep going. Um, I, I know I have God's unconditional love. And the thing that you often say, failure is not final, or uh, God forgives failure. Um, and I find that very helpful. I've loved the still small voice of God. <laughs> It's recognizing that, recognizing that, that moment of gazing out of a window and something coming into your head, recognizing that that's actually the still small voice of God. And it gives you such power and such confidence. But you know, sometimes the voice of God isn't still <laughs> and quiet. And I love this from St. Augustine's Confessions, and I'd like to read it. You were within, but I was without. You were with me, but I was not with you. So you called, you shouted, you, um, I can't read my own writing, you broke, um, you broke through my deafness, you flared, you blazed and you banished my blindness, you lavished your fragrance, and I gasped. Isn't that wonderful? So that's not a still small voice, but it's another sort of voice. And finally, finally. You did tell, say you'd stop me. No, but, you keep yeah. going, else it's great. Finally, finally, 
And I don't understand this. And maybe somebody will explain it to me. It's something about my belief has changed to an actual inner knowing. And I think there's a difference. I don't know what the difference is. It's just some feeling I have in here. The night I became a Christian when I was about 13, the verse um, that I heard in this church I was talking about was, for I know who I have believed and I'm persuaded. And we were singing the hymn with that as the chorus. That I know whom I have believed. I think that no is I know it's Christ and whom I have believed. But there's another sort of knowing. It's um, because I've had doubts over the years. I've had serious doubts at times. Um, Times where I have prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you know there have been times I've had enough doubts not even to pray that? Um, And yet, um, I always knew I know whom I have believed. Um, So now I feel there's been a shift I don't know when it happened, but I feel it's there. And sometimes when you're preaching, David, and you say something, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I actually know that in here. Whereas before, I might have had a thought, hmm, I believe that. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. That's really helpful as well. I was at that old idea of believing and knowing, and it's, it's in there, and it's, who you, it's part of who you are. But thank you so much for sharing, I mean, a little of your story, a lot of your story. Uh, I'm going to, as I say, encourage people to pick up on any of those things, if that's okay with you tonight or, or in the future, things they've maybe discovered they didn't know and, and want to scratch a little bit more at.